This is episode number 57 with JP Sears. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you two very exciting things. You can now order my second book, Open Wide, a radically real guide to deep love, rocking relationships, and soulful sex. Whoop, whoop. It's out now. It's so exciting. All you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy today. And to celebrate the launch of Open Wide, I'm hitting the road and touring Australia with my musician husband in January and February. Now imagine a TED Talk meets Coldplay concert. It's a fusion of music, meditation, and motivation. And you can get your tickets for that at nickandmelissa.com. Now tickets are selling fast, so don't miss out because we really, really, really want to meet you and squeeze you in person. JP Sears is an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, speaker, world traveler, and curious student of life. His work empowers people to live more meaningful lives. He is the author of How to Be Ultra Spiritual, and he is very active with his online videos where he encourages healing and growth through his humorous, hilariously entertaining and informative videos, including his hit ultra spiritual comedy series, which has accumulated over 100 million views. That is incredible. And in this episode, we chat about how he became enlightened, how JP's sense of humor confused some of his viewers when he first started making hit YouTube videos, why JP uses humor to share his message and empower others, whether JP actually practices the things he talks about, JP's spiritual journey and how he got on his path, how JP deals with negativity online, why being authentic is necessary to feel deeply fulfilled, the two things that make you feel empty that you want to quit doing right away, why fear is necessary in order to grow, how being fearless is just an illusion, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 57. And without further ado, let's bring on the one and only, the hilarious JP Sears. JP, it is so great to have you on the show. I'm very, very excited for today's episode. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had cold brew coffee. Anything else? No, I've been doing intermittent fasting lately, so no solids until the afternoon. Nice. So tell me, what's it like to be enlightened? It's a a great responsibility. I think like Spider-Man's uncle once said, with great power comes great responsibility. I don't know what the hell that responsibility is, but yeah, what's it like to be enlightened? That's a good question. I'm trying to figure that out myself. (laughs) Well, when I first came across you, I actually didn't know if you were serious or whether you were a comedian. Like I was so unsure of the first video that I ever watched. Do you get that a lot or are people confused? Well, you know, I used to get it a lot. And I, when I started making the comedy videos, maybe about three years ago, the, you know, because I didn't see anybody else. I'm sure there were some, but I didn't see anybody else making comedy videos on spirituality and, and health. So 
people were definitely confused in the beginning and you know some people would get it straight away and you know my my particular ty- uh, style of humor is satire so you know slapstick comedy is very easy to recognize but satire essentially saying things with a straight face and uh yeah so a lot of people were confused and some people were you know ac- actually just not thinking it's comedy at all and just thinking I'm giving terrible advice. And I see in the comments section, like, that's actually, that's really terrible advice. That's the opposite of what will work. But, you know, now that I've had a chance to be making videos consistently for a few years and I've been blessed with a lot of people viewing them, I think now it's, it's much more recognizable that the videos they though they come across serious because they're satirical and i have a deadpan delivery most of the time is just a little bit more not, you know in the know that this weirdo's just taking the piss <laughs> because you know it, in the past i personally have taken this work and personal development work and the spiritual work way too seriously and i love that you bring humor and you use humor to bring lightness to these sometimes serious topics so why did you decide to do that and was it a conscious choice I decided to because I needed to, you know, I, just like you, I had become so serious in my, my spiritual journey, my self-development and growth journey. And I, you know, I think a funny thing happens from my delusional point of view, we will lose ourselves on the very path that we're taking to find ourselves if we get too attached to the path, if we get too dogmatic about our thinking and too blind to how our ego begins to gratify itself through very noble-looking expressions. Like, spirituality looks so noble, but it's like, yeah, it makes it very easy for us to hide our ego gratification even from ourselves. So, I think seriousness is the psychological energy that attaches us to the path we're taking to find ourselves. So, you know, that my, my path of self-development, it... it it served me very well. But I was also just beginning to wake up. Like, not only am I starting to lose myself, but I think I've been losing myself for years. I'm just now waking up to the fact that I have been losing myself while I'm also benefiting myself on this path. So, yeah, I, I just I started to uh, take take my path, my practices less seriously and starting to make videos became a self-therapy where I now had like a structure to um, essentially dump my baggage. It's like, okay, I'm going to make a video to shine the light of awareness on the goofy things I do and the goofy things that go on in my mind and my behaviors uh, so that I can be a little more free from them and I can, you know, start finding myself a little bit more. And, and, and I think, you know, everything I'm saying is now in hindsight, at the time I started making comedy videos, I don't think I really knew like, Oh, I'm doing this for self therapy. I, I definitely knew that I was taking myself too seriously, but I think it's, it's, it took me a little while in hindsight to recognize like, yeah, that was doing these videos is very beneficial to me personally. Um, so yeah. And it's just become a, a form of self therapy that I feel it benefits me. It amuses the hell out of me. And I'm, I feel very fortunate that other people feel amused by it and hopefully uh, benefiting by it as well. When I first discovered you and then I went to your website and I thought, oh my gosh, no, he actually does coaching and he has these programs and, you know, it's, it's the real deal. So, I mean, some of your videos are not some of them, but a lot of them that I've watched, I've just been, you know, buckled over in stitches kind of because one, you're hilarious, but also two, I'm like, but that's what I do. You know, do (laughs) I live like that? You know, I, you know, with some of the ones like how to become gluten intolerant and how to take yourself more seriously. And some of the relationship ones, like, I'm like, oh, I'm that person. And do you actually practice a lot of the things that you're talking about or are they not in your, you know, wellness toolkit? 
Yeah, a, a lot of them, most of them I do practice. Like I've been gluten-free for, I don't know, probably 16 years and I'm always meditating and, you know, clean eating is, is very important to me. So yeah, yeah, I, I think um, if I was doing videos on material that wasn't near and dear to me, I don't think I would be getting as much benefit and therefore it wouldn't be as interesting to me. So I think for me to get the benefit, I, I need to be doing things that are in my life. And, and also at the same time, I think coming from a place of respect for essentially what I'm making fun of is important to me. So like in the end, I'm not actually making fun of it. I'm doing my best to point out human behaviors that surround a given topic. And oftentimes they're self-deceptive human behaviors and, and hidden psychological agendas. So what I don't want to do is do videos on material that I'm far removed from because that probably means I'm coming from a place of not respect, but more judgment, disrespect. Uh, and I don't think the world needs more judgment and uh, bad energy put out there. We've, we've got too much of that as it is. Mm. And how did you get on this path? How did you get on your spiritual path? Well, I was bitten by a magical squirrel one day when I was meditating under a tree. <laughs> it was my 13th month of the meditation. Now, you know, I, I got on the path like in my, let's see, in my late teens into my early 20s. I, I was very interested in exercise and nutrition, and, which is great stuff. And, and a mentor of mine uh, in the exercise and nutrition realm, as I started to learn more and more from him, I started to discover like, oh, he's got like this spiritual side and he's talking about how emotions can impact our bodies and our health. Like, wow, that's amazing. So that started to open my eyes to a world that I didn't really know about. And then I think really at the core of it all, uh, what started me on my path is, you know, essentially my deep need for healing and healing things that I didn't even know were there, that I didn't know were healed. So when I look back, I can see one of the ways that I got through childhood and my teenage years was being very emotionally disconnected, very numb. And, you know, funny thing about that is, is like when a fish is swimming in numb waters, it doesn't know it's swimming in numb water. So I didn't know how emotionally disconnected I was because that was normal for me. But then, of course, it becomes a, a limitation. I, I wasn't able to feel you know, anything more than just superficial happiness because, of course, when you're numb to the painful stuff, you're numb to the pleasurable stuff too. So, you know, just feeling unfulfilled and having some kind of weird, abstract, intuitive sense that there is more to life, more to having a fulfilled life than just making money and checking off the social status boxes. You know, I started searching and I didn't know what I was searching for. I just at some level knew there was something more. So I, I started taking one step after another and, uh, you know, I, I arrived in a world of like, wow, I, you know, the world of the human heart and the psyche. And of course, you know, very much started my emotional healing journey, self-growth journey, getting less curious about who I'm supposed to be and more curious about who I actually am and who is this mysterious creature called my authentic self. Mm, beautiful. And when you first then began sharing what you were learning and using the videos as your medium to do that, did you encounter a lot of blowbacks from people and people saying, oh, you can't do that? You know, these are serious issues. And if so, like, how did you deal with that? Yeah, there was some blowback. I, I mean, it wasn't an overwhelming amount, but you know, for for a guy who just started making comedy videos, and you know, they're they're they were getting decently viewed right off the bat. You know, a little bit of blowback was certainly a, a challenge to deal with, and and I think uh, there were a few ways I dealt with it. One, 
doing my best to reground myself in um, what's important to me, what's my purpose here, where am I coming from? Because someone getting angry at a video, uh, you know, if I get essentially hypnotized by that, tricked by their thinking, then I start to think that I'm coming from where they think I'm coming from. So I completely lose my sense of self and essentially uh, start disrespecting my purpose. So it's very important to me to remind myself why I'm doing this, where, where I'm coming from. And I would also, and I still do, remind myself of a belief I have whether it's true or not, who knows, but I believe it to be true that when someone is angry, offended by a video, not happy with it, it probably means they feel insecure about something that was shown to them in the video and they don't want to look at the insecurity. So they try to close down and intimidate the source of the mirroring, in this case, my videos. So you know, I think when when a painful truth resonates with a person, you're going to get one of two reactions. One reaction is just like you've had, Melissa, where you laugh like, ah, that's, oh, that's me. I'm laughing. But you wouldn't laugh if there wasn't some level of truth in it for you. And the other way that we emotionally react when we see something that's true that we didn't know about ourselves is we get angry. And that can through being a connoisseur of outrage where we're offended. Um, So I would remind myself of that when people are upset, it's, you know, because I know I'm not bullying people. I'm not trying to hurt people. There's bullying is one thing, but making a video where I realize if someone's upset, it's actually likely because they're they're seeing something about themselves they didn't know they feel insecure about. So at some level, I believe it actually is insanely therapeutic for a person to see something about themselves that they aren't really connected with. Um, so I, it, and not to say that they're going to just become fully integrated on the issue right then and there, but even if they're... Uh, offended by something they saw in the video, I think that is a uh, step of self-awareness that's happening. And then lastly, before I uh, quit my ramble on how I would deal with the pushback, well, I I think two more things real quick. One is when I would see the, you know, just like the, the emotionally abusive comments of, you are an absolute jerk asshole how dare you you know it, uh, honestly at times like it would sting it's like ooh, wow okay i feel mm. some heat in my body i feel some tingling in my arms and you know i would i would feel it instead of avoiding it you know so essentially i would deal with it rather than closing down my wheelhouse of self-expression and maybe even my inner genius so instead i would just feel the feelings that come up and uh, then lastly, and it's still to this day, I don't read all the comments. Uh, and, and certainly I, I, I do read some and I want to interact with uh, the viewers. But what I absolutely never do is dwell on the comments, positive or negative. And, and I think the key to not dwelling on the negative comments is don't dwell on the positive comments because if you get really attached to one side of the coin, well, you, by default, you're going to be attached to the other side of the coin and, and never, uh, uh, never have I engaged with, a you know, a, a hater comment because one, I don't think anybody in the history of the internet has ever had their mind changed in the comment section on YouTube or Facebook. <laughs> so I don't want to get into like defending myself on in the comment section because that's just a, a losing situation. And I also don't want to give weight to hateful comments and nor do I want to hurt people who are maybe trying to hurt me through hateful comments because I think the only way that a person is going to try to hurt another person, the only reason why a bully bullies anyone, whether it's online or in person, is because 
that bully is a hurt person themselves. So they're trying to hurt other people so they can make other people the hurt ones so they can try to escape their inner hurt that they don't know how to deal with. So the last thing I want to do is try to hurt someone who's already hurting inside. Mm, So important to remember because for the rest of our life, we're going to encounter people who, you know, like our work, don't like our work, who leave a nasty comment, who don't leave a nasty comment. And how we react and how we respond is the most important thing. And for me personally, I am the same as you. Like I, you know, of course I sometimes feel a sting if there's a hurtful comment, but I feel it. I allow myself to feel it. I allow myself to feel whatever comes up and then I let it go. And I, I'm the same as you. I don't give it any power or energy and I don't respond. And, you know, I just leave it because like you said, there's enough of that in the world and there's, I don't need to add fuel to that fire. And I have that, I always have that in my mind as well, that hurt people hurt people. And we've got to have love. Oh, like I, I just feel love and, you know, softness for that person because to say something like that, they must be in a pretty challenging place within themselves. So I love that you mentioned that and and I love that you mentioned that you don't get attached to the positive as well because that's, you know, that polarity, once you have one side, the pendulum is going to swing to the other. And if you get too egoic and all heady about these amazing positive comments, you're going to create and manifest the other side as well. So, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I love your reflections. And, and you know, I think there's another dimension to this, Melissa. I, you know, weirdos like you and I, we're, <laughs> we're blessed to have an audience. We're blessed to be in the, the position of a leader just to you know be quite frank and and i think we we owe it to the people who devote their time and attention and following our work we owe it to them to give our best and i think in you know fighting fire with fire hating a hateful person just getting emotionally charged and and combative and defended in the comments section I think that's giving our audiences our worst, not our best. And I think there, there's a there's something to be said about reminding ourselves, like, yeah, we're we're setting an example with whatever we do. And I think giving people our best and not stooping down to five year old, you know, fighting tactics with people who are actually our viewers, though they might be leaving us a hateful comment. I think we need to set the example of what it is to be a leader. Now, that's not to put you and I on a pedestal, we both poop out of our butts, I'd imagine. And so we both have our our human side and our challenges and stuff to work through. But I, I have a lot of respect for the responsibility of people paying attention to me. And I want to be giving people a service. I don't want to give them the disservice of making them think that fighting like a five-year-old is actually going to help anybody. Mm, Absolutely. So what is something that you might be working on within yourself at the moment? Oh, well, actually, I'm good and perfect. I was just saying that to try to sound relatable to other people. (laughs) Now, you know, a big thing, I'm always working on stuff, and I have way more screwed up about me than I can possibly work on in any given time. But um, one of the things I'm working on right now is learning that it's okay for me to be me. Now, have I uh, achieved degrees of authenticity in my life so far? Yeah, like I think so. But I think it's an infinite journey and there's always more to go. So yeah, I've been at a big edge in my uh, personal work recently to not take the safe, less scary route of acting out a persona uh, as a way of winning approval and getting validation and doing a good job, but more risking being 
more true to myself, being JP and knowing it's okay to be me, even though it's scary because, you know, actually just, uh, what was it? A week and a half ago, I was on the, uh, uh, or a week ago, I don't know, times of war, but just the other week I was doing a, a three show uh, three shows in three different cities in three days, a comedy tour. And these are theaters, like 800 people, 900 people. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of stage talking and performing, but like, this was like a new action for me where I was challenging myself to be more true to me than I've ever been before. Not oh, let me go on stage and just be the comedian because I think that's what people want. While I am going to do comedy, I also um needed to give myself permission to speak sincerely from my heart and essentially lose control and man it, it was so scary i was doing so much journaling and you know i was in the green rooms backstage journaling before i was going on stage and you know feeling a lot of emotion throughout the day not about what i was doing but the parts of me that I was trying to bring to the stage, you know, parts of me that have never been on the stage before. In other words, showing up more authentically. Um, man, yeah, so th that's what I've been working on and it's still continuing. Why is being authentic so important? Yeah, I think otherwise we're in a uh, stage of self-betrayal. You know, I think one of the purposes of our life is for us to live our life. And I think one of the ways that all people, at least some of the time, violate their life and aren't living their life is when we're being who we think we're supposed to be. We're doing what we think we're supposed to do in order to get approval. So we're, we start to worship the currency of approval. But I think as long as we're worshiping approval, we will absolutely never accept ourselves. We will never be authentic as long as we're worshiping approval. So, you know, I grew up a people pleaser. And to me, it's very scary to think about not getting approval. And it's very empty feeling to always chase approval. Is it gratifying on the surface? Yeah. Just like a heroin addict doing heroin is very gratifying on the surface, but it's not deeply fulfilling. I think being authentic is the only way for us to feel actually fulfilled. Um, you know, uh, Tony Robbins has a beautiful quote. It's something along the lines of achievement without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So we can achieve a lot while not being authentic. But we can't be fulfilled if we're achieving a lot and not being authentic. So to me, whether we're achieving a lot or achieving a little, it, what's most important is to be authentic because we're never going to be fulfilled otherwise. And we're never going to be respecting our life if we're not. But in order to you know, walk the authentic trail of discovery, I think we have to be willing to be scared. I think feeling scared and feeling painful emotions, they've never hurt anybody. We hurt ourselves trying to avoid our fears, trying to avoid our painful feelings. So if we're willing to be scared, that means we're willing to essentially abandon our actions and our self-identities and our reoccurring patterns that keep us playing small, but they get us approval. We're willing to abandon those because we're willing to be scared about what would it be? If I didn't get approval, what would it be if I'm not enough? What would it be if I'm rejected? Now, that doesn't mean we will get rejected. I mean, we definitely will sometimes, but most of the time we probably won't. But being willing to feel the fear of risking rejection, that's what allows us to step in the direction of authenticity. And I think uh, another dimension of why we're, we need to be willing to be afraid in order to be authentic, is I think our authentic self is largely a mystery. I think there's more that we don't know about ourselves compared to what we do know about ourselves. So our self-identity, which has nothing to do with our authentic self, is just who we think we are, you know, that's our familiar territory. And there's a sense of safety and certainty with familiarity. 
but there it's very human of us to have a level of fear that comes up with mystery. It's like the proverbial dark forest. You go into this dark abyss of a mystery, and of course it's scary, but we don't get to discover who we are if we're not willing to feel the fear of going into a mystery. So I think we have to be willing to be scared in order to be happy. I don't think we grow into our authentic selves unless we are willing to leave the comfort zone of our familiarity. And we're not not willing to leave it unless we're willing to get scared. And we can't feel happy and fulfilled if we're not growing and moving in the direction of our authentic self. So I think when, when a lot of us live our life in avoidance of fear, we are absolutely giving ourselves a lethal injection against our happiness and against our fulfillment. So long story short, I think if someone wants a fulfilling, deeply happy life, not gratifying, but deeply happy life, the difference, just real quick, uh, why I create a, a differential between gratification and happiness is they are vastly different. You know, the, the alcoholic is very gratified drinking alcohol, but it doesn't make them happy. I think they might call their gratification happiness, but it is very different. So, if we want a happy life and fulfillment, I think we have to be willing to get scared. And if we're not willing to get scared, then that means we're not willing to allow ourselves to be happy, in my delusional opinion anyway. Mm. Now, you are a viral sensation. Like, you have millions of people following you and watching your videos. And from the outside, it can look like you've got it all together. People could put you on a pedestal, like we spoke about before, and that you would walk on stage and have absolutely no fear. And I really want to bust that myth because that is not that putting you or me or anyone on a pedestal is is stunting your growth. And I know for me personally, before I walk on stage to give a big talk, like I am usually buckled over with full stomach cramps out the back, wanting to puke and have sweaty palms, sweating profusely and like wanting to run out the back door. So does that still happen for you? You know, I, I find my versions of it, and and why I love your vulnerability, Melissa. I think um, you know the the illusion of the audience member sitting there watching you on stage, and you come across as though you're all put together. But the difference of you, like you're not fearless, and I'm not fearless, but you're willing to be afraid, but take action anyway. And mm-hmm. I do my best on that. Mm-hmm. So that. You know, for someone who's maybe stuck and they're, they're not willing to be afraid, then when someone is afraid, but they're taking action, they will look fearless. But that's just an illusion. Yeah. Anything new creates a fear response. When I started public speaking, which I, I guess for me was, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, absolutely terrifying. But it, you know, it, but a willingness to be, be afraid and keep doing it anyway is so necessary. And, and I think once something becomes relatively familiar, it's like, okay, the fear response is, is going down. Like, is it exciting? Are there some nerves? Like, of course. But what, what I think is important is when I notice like, okay, yeah, you know, my po- comfort level is speaking is, you know, it's getting more comfortable. That now gives me a capacity to push into something, you know, push further into something that does scare me. So that might mean now I'm being more authentic on stage. Now I am being spontaneous on stage instead of like having a well scripted speech. It's like now I have just like a super rough outline and I'm just like more in the flow, which is like, you know, that's very scary in the beginning. And, you know, when I started making comedy videos, like now making a video, it's relatively like unscary for me. But in the beginning, so scary. Like first off, I thought it'd be terrible for my business of doing emotional healing client coaching. And, you know, and also like another fear was like, I don't think anybody will think this is funny. But I was willingness to be willing to be afraid and take action anyway. And then after 
uh, enough repetitions, it's like, okay, you know, the videos, like, they don't scare the daylights out of me. So I start making videos on what I think is more risky subject matter, not just playing it safe by being in the goofy spiritual realm. But now I'll start approaching like social issues. Um, and then, yeah, and then like, yeah, so I, I'm getting all excited. So I'm trying to say nine things at one time here, Melissa. But I absolutely am with you that it is a disservice for anybody to look at a, you know, look at you on stage, look at what I do and think that there's fearlessness. It's like, no, no, no. We, we are humans pooping out of our butts too. We get afraid. And I think on our good days, we're willing to take action anyway. And when we're on a good trajectory, once something that used to scare the daylights out of us is no longer very scary for us, we'll push ourselves further to our next edge. I think if we're not willing to scare ourselves to death, we're not willing to really live our life. Mm, Absolutely. Of all of the kooky, woo-woo things that you have done and tried, what are your top five favorite spiritual practices or things that are in your wellness toolkit that you constantly pull out that really you have found work for you? Sure. You know, uh, starting off sounding super cliche, meditation. Uh, You know, I I tend to uh, meditate every morning for 10 minutes. I find 10 minutes is perfect for me because if it's any longer, the chances of me doing it go down dramatically. Uh, But 10 minutes when I do it consistently, I notice a a big difference in how I feel inside of me for the rest of the day. Like my perspective is just so much more centered and peaceful when I'm spending 10 minutes meditating in the morning. Gratitude journaling is important to me. I think having an attitude of gratitude is one of the most underrated resources. And and I think the most important part of a gratitude practice is really feeling the feeling of gratitude, not just going through the mental thought process of let me think what I'm grateful for, but actually feeling the sensations of gratitude in our body, I think is where we really get the real benefit from it. Um, Another part of my spiritual practice that I think is very meaningful is doing my best to feel my feelings, feel my freaking feelings. And I'm not talking about just like, oh, happiness and bliss. Let me really maximize those. No, I'm, I'm talking about like when I have a hurtful emotion come up, when I'm angry, when I'm sad, afraid, jealous, ashamed, anything that comes up, I do my best to feel that. I think, you know, those feelings in my experience, they don't feel very acceptable. It's like, ah, I just want to get away from those. But I think true spirituality is about acceptance. And I think accepting the acceptable parts of ourselves is super easy, but we don't grow from it. Where we do grow is when we get better at accepting what feels unacceptable. Like it feels unacceptable to feel afraid. But I do my best to feel that anyway, because that's authentic to me right now. It's coming up. So feeling my feelings and then, which by the way, I think a crime against humanity is feeling our emotions is typically looked at as non-spiritual. But I think it's the most spiritual thing we can do. It's what connects us to ourselves as well as what's beyond us and other people more so. And I think true spirituality is about connection, not separation. So we got to be careful about separating ourselves from our emotions. And Carl Jung has said our feelings are the language of our soul. Like if that's half true, it's like, ooh, if we're disconnecting from our feelings, then that means we're probably disconnecting from our soul, which means we're probably actually getting less spiritual rather than more spiritual. And then I think open, honest, authentic communication with the people that are uh, in my uh, intimate circle in my life, you know, like my fiance, my close friends, the people who I work with every day. So important to me to have the tough conversations. And a prerequisite to doing that is you got to be willing to feel your feelings. You got to be willing to like, it's okay to be afraid or else we won't have the the level of open, honest, authentic communication that uh, we otherwise could. And I find there's so much connection and, uh, that happens with open, 
honest communication, authentic communication, and so much growth that comes for me personally. And I learn so much about me when I'm willing to uh, explore tough conversations rather than just playing it safe and keeping things only at a comf- comfortable level. So yeah, yeah. And then lastly, Melissa, and man, and this, I don't know, it's definitely a, it's got to be top, top two, top three for sure, uh, components of my spiritual practice. And that would be creativity. Letting what wants to express itself through me to express itself for me. To me, creativity is an insanely spiritual practice. And my comedy videos were the first expression of real creativity that I ever had in my life. And it's it's become very meaningful to me and in my spiritual practice. Mm, I love those. They're beautiful. I do most of those every day as well, the meditation and gratitude and feeling my feelings. And I practice what I call crystal clear communication. Mm, I like that. And also creativity. I think they're really powerful. So thanks for sharing those. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to hear now, what is one thing that's bringing you the most joy right now in your life? caring for my lovely dog Zephyr. He turned 13 about two months ago. So he's older, you know, he gets around slower and he's had some back issues. And, and I just find that it's so joyful to care for him and, you know, baby him, but also really connect to him and understand like, you know, does he need a back massage right now? And how's he feeling? And what does he want? And, you know, I can start taking myself and my my projects really seriously, but I think keeping it real with what's most important, Zephyr does a great job teaching me that. So taking him out for a walk, like, man, I, I don't get millions of views for that. I don't get any acknowledgement for that, but I think it matters just as much as doing some big elaborate work project or a video or some kind of show in a theater because it's about connection and it's about real care uh, for someone else. In this case, it happens to be Zephyr. So, and I think another component of that with Zephyr is given the fact that he's 13 uh, though part of me believes he will live forever, <laughs> there's another part of me that believes he'll shed his physical body at some point, hopefully not for a long time. But it, it, it's now real to me that uh, he may not be around forever. So it just makes it easier for me to juice a lot of joy out of each interaction and each day I have with him. Mm, that's so nice. And animals and children, there's nothing like the connection with them that can really bring you a lot of joy and bring you back to the present moment. Yeah, yeah. I think there's an absolute reason why dog is God spelled forward, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Mm, I never really realized that. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. So let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your books, which book would you choose? I think I would choose Conversations with God, book one by Neil Donald Walsh. And and Melissa, I'm curious, have you read that? I have read it and I've had him on my show. And Oh, fantastic. I'm jealous. Oh, he is. I was crying in the interview. I had goosebumps all over my body. And you are not the first person to say conversations with God. There's been multiple people that I've asked this question to on the show and many people have said conversations with God. And I think it would be the book that I would put in the school curriculum as well, besides my books, because... Book one, it is life-changing. It is so powerful, and I think everyone needs to read it. Man, 100%. It's the first, I read it for the first time when I was 20 years old, and it absolutely changed how I think. And I think it, it, one of the greatest benefits I got from it was learning how to think and learning how to think for myself. And 
you know, becoming the observer of my programming from my family, from society, from, you know, some religion. So, man, yeah, I think the only thing I change putting that in high schools is I would change the title. I would probably call it like the book of personal empowerment. Um, because the, I think a lot of people have like a negative connotation, like, oh, conversations with God, like just another religious book, just someone else's dogma. But to me, it is just a beautiful philosophical book of personal empowerment. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you have attachment to the word God or you're triggered by it, read the book and, and change it to love or universe or flower, whatever, you know, just read it and let go of that attachment to that word and, and just say whatever resonates with you. Yeah, 100%. And and I would just add to that my experience of uh, the book is when he uses the word God, it has nothing to do with the same word used by religions and some philosophies that describes a angry, judgmental asshole man in the sky with a beard. It's like a same word, but drastically different meaning. Mm. Absolutely. And if you can read it without that dogma being dragged along, you, you will have such a beautiful journey reading it. I almost like wish I could go back and reread it for the first time again because it was just so amazing. Like my whole book was highlighted and I was reading it and I'd turn to my husband and I'd read out a phrase and I'd, you know, just go, oh my gosh, you look like he just words it so perfectly. And when we actually got married four years ago, we had two of our best friends uh, get up and read some of our favorite sentences and quotes from that book and everyone was just blown away and it was just so beautiful because it was such a life-changing book for both myself and my husband. Yeah. I, I love that and uh, when I gave the book to my fiance Amber a few months ago I mean same thing she was just riveted by it just I mean she loved it and she was highlighting over my highlights that were already in the book. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. So everyone go and check that out if you haven't read it yet. So now let's turn the spotlight onto you. I am fascinated with people's morning routines and, and how they set themselves up for the day and how they prime themselves, as Tony Robbins says, for the day. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, after I'm up and brush my teeth, I I take Zephyr out and feed him. And, and then really my morning routine begins, which is typically with a 30-minute walk. And I'm usually listening to some kind of podcast that uh, uplifts me uh, uh, in some way and while I'm walking. And then I do a 10-minute meditation. And uh, uh, part of that meditation is a gratitude practice. and then. Uh, my, uh, you could say at my work day starts, it's really an extension of my morning routine. There's just like a blend. There's really no division where one ends and the other begins. But the, f the, the blend is uh, creative time. So usually there's an hour scheduled in the first part of my work day where just right after my meditation, I'll go right into creative time. So it might be writing a video or writing material for a show. And um, man, that, that creative time, though part of me can call it work, and yeah, it definitely contributes to the productivity of work. It is very personally enriching to me. I mentioned a few minutes ago how the creative time really helps me feel connected spiritually, but it also helps me grow. It helps me learn to pay attention and surrender and listen for what's beyond my own mind. So yeah, that the creative time is a, a significant part of my morning routine. 
Mm, love that. And you've spoken a lot about gratitude and I am a massive fan of it. And it's something that I learned early on in my spiritual journey, just how powerful it was. Cause I didn't grow up, you know, saying what I was grateful for or anything like that. So for me, it's something that I have learned uh, on this path and I love it and it feels good. And I practice every day like you do. So I'd love to hear what are three things that you are most recently grateful for or three things you're grateful for today? Yeah, you know, one is my house. I'm, I'm very grateful that I live in a place where I feel very safe, protected, comfortable, and it's also beautiful and it's a great neighborhood. So yeah, a lot of gratitude for this support, the, you know, the structure of my house gives me and and Zephyr, uh, my little guy, has been at the forefront of my gratitude, uh, certainly. And um, my fiance Amber, and the the connection she gives me, the support she gives me, and you know her presence, the person that she is, just grateful for her. And uh, another, I'm going to give you. I think this is fourth, but screw it. Uh, just another point of gratitude that I've really been connected with recently is my willingness to take risk. You know, the, the, the risks ultimately create so much growth and so much reward, you know, medium term and long term. But in the moment of taking risks, it's scary as hell. So for the part of me that is very scared of taking a new risk, new venture, doing something new, putting myself out there in a bigger, bolder way and doing it anyway. I am very grateful for that part of me that's willing to uh, shoulder the fear that comes with taking risks. Mm, I love that. Now, what is one thing that we can do today to improve our health? One of the most important things that we can do. Drink a lot of water. It's one of the easiest things. The ROI on being well hydrated is very disproportional. It's so easy to have a, a bottle of water with us wherever we're going. And you know, drinking a bunch of water first thing in the morning to really start our our hydration off, right? I, I think it's just it, it's maybe especially when it comes to like practical practices, like things we're doing. Uh, it's maybe the thing that we can do that requires the least amount of effort, but gives us the biggest return on investment, if you will, in my opinion. Mm. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Working on healing our shame. You know, there's two types of people in this world, those who are very emotionally wounded and then those who are in denial of being very emotionally wounded. And at the core of many of our emotional wounds and challenges that we, you know, we crawl out of childhood with these things, whether we know it or not, they're there. There are catalysts, there, you know, our growth potential comes from wounding. So if you weren't wounded, then man, I'd feel sorry for you. You'd be very limited in how you could grow. So, but at the core of many emotional wounds in my experience is shame. And shame is another word for low self-worth. And unresolved low self-worth, that is self-worth that we're unaware of, uh, seeks validation. It's essentially the vibration of low self-worth will continue to vibrate at that vibration, even if we're not aware of it. And that can get symbolically reflected to us through low financial worth. You know, the literal uh, uh, expression of low finances can be a very symbolic mirror to show us the low self-worth that we have, that is the shame that we have. So I think working on our unresolved emotional issues inherently helps our self-acceptance, which is synonymous with increases our self-worth, which means uh, our willingness to accept uh, the symbolic expression of financial worth uh, or the literal expression of financial worth that is oftentimes a symbolic expression of self-worth. I think that goes up. Mm, absolutely. 
And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in the world? More love within ourselves and just love in general. Take a look at what feels unacceptable to us about ourselves and work on accepting it. Doesn't mean we have to like it. Doesn't mean we have to agree with it. Doesn't mean we have to, uh, you know, uh, be limited by it. But it means we get to work on accepting it. And, uh, you know, I think we are severely limited in how much we can love other people based on how much we actually love ourselves. So working on becoming more accepting of the things that used to be unacceptable to us is uh, uh, very beneficial to our ability to love. Mm, I agree. I totally agree. So before I ask you the last question, Is there anything else that you want to share or any other parting wisdom that you want to gift to our listeners? Well, you know, I think uh, one of the commandments that the old farts of the biblical days, allegedly, uh, the old farts of the biblical days forgot to write down was amuse thyself. Uh, I think life is too important to take seriously. I think we can be sincere and playful, and those are two expressions of the heart. But I think seriousness is a psychological control mechanism. It's not us living in our hearts. So I think when we can aim to amuse ourselves, that helps us live in our heart more. So that helps us be more sincere and, and more playful in other times. and. Yeah, and I think amusing thyself, it can be creativity, and it can also just be perspective, where we're looking out at whatever's in front of us, and shifting our perspective can be the difference between amusement and seriousness, boredom and amusement. Mm. It's so interesting that you say that, because uh, I have an 11-year-old stepson, and when we first got together, there was a level of like, I've got to have it all together that I wanted him to see. And when I completely let go of that within myself, that control within myself, and I play within myself and I be silly and let go and almost let my hair down, that feeling of deep love, happiness, and fulfillment just skyrockets within myself. And also, I I feel creative within myself, like when I'm being a total dork in front of him. And it, you've just reminded me just how important it is to yeah amuse myself, whatever that means, and just allow that creative expression to flow through me. Because life, it just doesn't have to be so serious. When I have my control cap on and I feel serious, I feel rigid in my cells and life doesn't flow as much. So thank you for reminding me to play more. Oh, you're welcome. And I I love the message embedded in your words, the message of letting go of control and surrendering, which is, you know, of course, that helps us splash into playfulness and amusement. But that whole control thing, I mean, man, my according to my delusional ego, it says the purpose of life is to have control. And I think my heart has a different message. It says the purpose of life is to surrender. And we can't do that if we're in control. And being in control all the time can make us feel safer, give us more illusion of power, but it's not very fulfilling, not very uh, happy, in my opinion. And it's funny to become aware of it too. Like when you realize just how many times throughout the day you are holding on with control. You know, I catch myself now and I just have a little laugh and I'm like, oh, you know, there I go again, putting on my little control cap. And it's really 
hilarious, like at how many points throughout the day that we do it. But I love that you gave those two definitions of the heart and the the head, because that is not why we're here. We're not here to control everyone or to control our kids. You know, this is a big one. You so desperately want the best for them, which can really be translated is control freak. And, And children are the ultimate surrender the ultimate letting go. And yeah, I'm just so grateful that you've reminded me of that and of letting go of that control, of letting go and just playing more and that amusement within myself. It's so important. Yeah. Well, I love your reflections. And, and just one other thing I'll add to this equation for, you know, for the lovely listeners out there. A great opportunity for us to challenge ourselves to let go of control is, you know, as far as finding a level of control that we can do our best to like let let go of or let a little more go of, is we can look for what we take too seriously. You know, we, like when do we feel the most stress, the most seriousness, and that seriousness is psychological control. So whatever we're taking the most seriously that becomes our work. That becomes the best opportunity to let a little of that control go. It's like, yeah, it's scary or else we'd already have done it. But uh, I think the the fingerprint of opportunity is taking a look at where where are we too serious? Mm, and that's sometimes very confronting to sit with, but... It's so rewarding when you do. And then just bring that lightness, bring that humor, have a little laugh at yourself and go, ha, look at that. I'm being so controlling and serious over this. Isn't it hilarious? And just let it go. Because like I said to you at the start of this episode, I used to really take personal development so serious and really get so hard on myself when I would stuff up, quote unquote, you know, but now I just, every time I stumble, I just have a little giggle at myself and I'm like, that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. It's got to have this lightness. Otherwise, you know, it's just too serious. And I love that you just do that with everything that you do. So I have one more question for you. What can I do and the listeners do to serve you today? If there's one thing that we could do, what would that be? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And and I think honestly, uh, if everyone could do their best to be a little more true to themselves, less true to expectations and approval, but a little more true to you because uh, I think you deserve it. You know that that would definitely light me up inside because one of the you know the the, the I would dare say the the heart and soul of my work is inviting people to be more true to themselves. So uh, if you could do that, then I'd certainly uh, feel pretty darn good inside. And I know that's probably codependent of me, but well, I'd love to see y'all be a little more true to yourself, and I'd love to see me be a little more true to myself too. That's the aim of the game, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time and your heart today. I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you so much for the work that you do in the world, for showing up and for being your authentic self and sharing that with the world and sharing your gifts with the world and continuously showing up and showing up and showing up. I'm so grateful that you are out there putting out these hilarious videos and just sharing your love and your heart with the world. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Melissa, I appreciate your kind words and I appreciate you having me on your show. It's a great honor for me and I know you shining your light in the world. It's making a real meaningful difference in people's lives. So man, I'm, I'm a big fan of you continuing to shine your light and in the ways that you do. And I, I would imagine they'll only get bigger. So keep being you, Melissa.
What a beautiful man. I am so grateful for his gorgeous energy and the reminder to play more. It's something I'm really wanting to implement into my everyday life. So thank you for that reminder, JP. And I don't know about you, but I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 57. And you can also check out all my other podcast episodes there too. Also, just a reminder, my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex is out now. So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy today. Tickets for the Open Wide Tour I'll be doing in January and February with my husband are now available and selling fast. So head to nickandmelissa.com to get your tickets today. Thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself possible and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Either take a screenshot or email it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, beautiful, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.